Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Okay, guys, get ready because John Acuff is funny. I don't know if you are familiar with him, but if you're not, you need to be. His book, Soundtracks, is not only well-written, well-researched, but it's it's just a funny, funny read. And he's a funny, funny guy. Um, I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Now, we talk about this idea of soundtracks, these things that our mind is thinking on repeat that may or may not be true. And if you want a free resource to help you with the soundtracks in your life, you can get my Lies versus Truth free PDF off my website or through the show notes. Um, you could also grab my Tangled course that actually has a whole section in it dedicated to identifying the lies that we hear in our head and replacing them with the truth. So sit back, relax, enjoy the conversation I had with the very funny, very kind John Acuff. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm sitting here with John Acuff. He is a New York Times bestselling author of seven books. He is an Inc. Magazine top 100 leadership speaker. He's a podcaster, a dad to two teenage daughters, a lover of Lego, bright sneakers, and eclectic music. And I'm going to try something before John even gets to really say a word. We're just going to like rapid fire, get to know John with a few questions. So John, you're just going to hit me with the response. Perfect. I'm going to ask you a few questions. How do you feel about time zones? Um, I wish people were less confused by the central time zone where I live. It's an hour difference. And everyone on the East Coast misses meetings with me. And they're like, I had no idea how to subtract the hour. I'm not in Guam. Like it's one hour. Like that's all it is. 100%. What about country music? Love it. I live in Nashville. I, you know, I didn't grow up with it in Massachusetts, but I love it. Emojis. Don't use them. Really? Okay. Sandals with socks. Uh, Don't use them. Do you have any opinions on those who do? Yeah, I don't. It feels unnecessary to me. Like it's, why would you do that? The whole point of a sandal is you don't have to have socks. 100%. Okay. What about uh, Doritos? Uh, like them, but I, I'm, I've discovered Funyuns again as an older man, and I'm I'm so into Funyuns. Okay, pause there. Funyuns is that like a must be an American thing. onion ring? It's an onion ring. Is it onion? Yeah, ring? but like, okay. and I ate one in like the third grade and was like, this is gross. And then I never had a Funyun again until like six months ago, and now I'm like, wow, I wasted like Fair thirty enough. years of my life not eating Funyuns. Yeah, they both sound like really loud, loud flavors. Uh, Elf on the shelf. Um, exhausting. Okay. Uh, last question. Does your wife think you're funny or does she roll her eyes? I I would say she does both. I mean, the other day I told her, I was, I was like, which would you prefer? I'd be a necklace guy or a bracelet guy. And she was like, Oh no. And I was like, no, if I just started to wear a bunch of necklaces or bracelets, which one would you like more? And she was like, neither. And so 
I think I try to make her roll her eyes because it's because it also makes her laugh. Um, she's heard every joke I have, so I'm sure there's some that she's like, oh, I'm so tired of that joke. But I try to catch her off guard with questions like that because that's fun. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I wondered if she was a laugh out loud or just like a groan. No, she'll no, laugh out loud if it's something like real. Some I think the things that are funniest to her are when something ridiculous happens to me. And, and I tell her like, oh, you're not going to believe this. That's what really makes her laugh. Well, John, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for my quick questions. I've never done that before, but I thought maybe right? it would give us a little bit of insight as to who you really are. Um, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your new book, Soundtracks. Yeah, so I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I've been married for 20 years, celebrated in April, our anniversary. I have two teenage daughters, one who's a rising senior, one's a rising sophomore. Um, I was in corporate marketing for 10 or 15 years or so, and then I've run my own business for the last eight years. Um, and I do two things all year. I write books, and then I go to companies and speak about the books. And so that's kind of the quick, grew up in Massachusetts. Um, that's the quick bio of me. And then um, I started a podcast like last January that I absolutely love. So I'm enjoying, it's called All It Takes is a Goal because I'm a huge goal nerd. And so, yeah, that's kind of a quick summary. And then I wrote my most recent book is about overthinking um, and it's called Soundtracks. And it is awesome. And I want to say, I've enjoyed your podcast as well. You had one on, I think it was like how to decipher a really great idea. And it had me like pulling out a notebook, doing my own little oh, Venn good. diagram. And I was explaining to my husband. Yeah. So so your your podcast, can you share the name again? All it takes is a goal. All it takes is a goal. So, so that's worth checking out. It's about out as well. finishing goals. Yeah. Because I think finishing a goal is one of the best feelings in the world. Well that's so awesome. I love the I love to talk about that. Yeah. Well I want to dive into your book soundtracks. Before we go there, tell me just a little bit about how you went from this guy who's you're working your day job to yep. becoming somebody who is full-time speaking and writing? That's a great question. Um, it was a process. It was kind of, you know, in 2008, I was kind of stuck at a job. I had reached the top of that ladder. I was a senior content designer and there was no super duper senior content designer. Like I was at the end of that which was intimidating. It's hard to come to a plateau in your early thirties. You think, Oh, I'll plateau in my fifties. Like I got there fast. Um, and in that season, I started to experiment with the blog. I started writing a blog and, and it kind of was an example of, wow, there's a whole world out there that I have access to. If I'll share my creativity, you know, and that in the fifties, you needed somebody to give you a radio station license or a newspaper column. And all of a sudden I had all this access to people so I started blogging and that started to kind of grow. And then an event planner said, Hey, would, would you come speak at an art event? And I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't you know, know people got paid for that. I didn't know how to do that. I'd never done that. Um, but I just had this thought of, I think I can do that. And that's kind of the first time I turned my overthinking from a super problem into a, from a super problem into a superpower where I said, what if I just choose to believe that? And then I choose to turn that into actions. Will that turn into results? And so I really started to go, I think I can be an author. I think I can be, you know, a public speaker when two things that I was not currently doing. Um, and so I just, that's kind of what kicked it off and really pouring into content on blogs, on Twitter, you know, got my first book out of a blog. And so that was kind of the beginning of, okay, if that was 2008, we're 13 years later, like that was the start. And was there a point where you, because obviously there's a huge, there's a ton of stuff that's happening between 
Sure. I've reached the top of my job. I have one speaking gig to like, hey, I think I can do this full time. Um, what yeah. was the point where you actually were able to realize, I think I can, I, A, I think I can quit my job, but also B, I love this, right? Because you try something, you don't necessarily love it. So, oh yeah, you try a lot yeah. of things. I mean, that's, you know, with, with my oldest daughter, as she gets ready to go to college soon, we're like, we want you to try a bunch of stuff. We want, you know, so that you can get a sense of that audition things, audition, the desire, the hope, whatever. Um, so there were really two moments. One was I got a job working for a guy named Dave Ramsey, who's a radio personality here. And that was my first kind of jump to, okay, I'm going to do a lot of this in a bigger way. So he essentially said, Hey, we know how to do this. The, this being be a personality, be a brand, be, you know, be an author, be a speaker. Like, so that was like going to a greenhouse where I learned those things. So that was the first shift where I said, okay, I'm leaving my corporate job, which was at a good company. Like it wasn't that I was like, Oh no, it's a bad company. It just like, that was where I was like, okay, I'm going to go learn this. And then I was there for three years and thought, okay, I feel like I can do this. I feel like I can do this on my own. I want to start my own business now. I have enough financial runway. I feel like I have enough of the skills, not all the skills, but enough of them um, for me to try it on my own. And so then I started my own company eight years ago and it's just been a series of, okay, well, let me try this and see what works. Let me try this and see what works. I mean, think about March of 2020, 80%, 70% maybe of my overall revenue of my company is public speaking and every gig got canceled or put on pause. So I had to say, okay, what am I going to do? Like, what's the, and so I think a big part of doing your own thing, I always tell people is like, you have multiple faucets going so that when one gets turned off, you have others that are sustaining you. And so that's always been my approach um, is to have multiple things going that I'm able to go, okay. Cause they take time. Like, you know, starting a podcast for me is going to take time. Like that's not a big revenue generator for me. It's really not. But I think in a year or two years from now, like it's the whole, like the two best times to plant a tree or 20 years ago and today. And so I'm constantly trying to go, okay, how do I do this? So that in two years, three years, four years, it's a bigger part of the conversation, but I have to start somewhere. Well, I love that you shared that. Cause I think for so many of us, we get this idea of like, I started something. I've, I've been doing something for a solid month. And it hasn't taken off. And it's so oh, discouraging. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I appreciate that you shared both with the idea of just start, but then also you're starting with an end goal or a plan in mind that eventually this thing can make money. This thing can change. It's just going to take a lot of, like, have you always had that mindset as you started? No, things? that's, I mean, I think that's being 45 and having done it wrong so many different other ways. Um, I mean, like for me, I have to deliberately only check my, my podcast stats once a day. Like when I wake up in the morning, I have a whiteboard, I write them down. I'd never look at them again the day. Cause what'll happen, like I'll get in a zone where I'm refreshing them constantly. And like, that's not what I'm trying to do. There was this big study by Fidelity, a big financial company in America. And they found that the people who did the best with their mutual funds, um, like, cause they studied, okay, who's been really successful managing their mutual funds. They either had forgotten their password and hadn't checked. They had died and therefore hadn't checked. Um, or they forgot they had an account. So not touching the thing. So like, I'm a big believer in going, I'm going to do the work and the results are going to come, but I'm going to do the work and the results are going to come. So like, 
that for me, that's hard. Like I would, my personality, I'd like to check the, the podcast stats every 30 seconds. I want things to be faster. It's not that I don't feel that way. It's just, I know long-term it's better for me if I have some boundaries on that um, and don't hold the new thing to carrying a, a big weight of the expectations. Like I'd much, you know, like I've seen enough, I've seen enough goals over the, the last X amount of years. So now, like now I'm in a place where I can go, okay, in seven years, I want a million people on my email list and my community text list and my, like in my conversation, because if you can serve a million people, you can do anything, like absolutely anything. And so I'm like, all right, cool. That's a good long-term goal. It might take me longer than that, but I know I'm going to keep serving people along the way and be deliberate to grow it and figure that out so that I can, you know, serve a lot of people. And so that gives me a much better idea than going like, okay, I'm going to tweet something today and look at how many responses it got. Like that's too short term. That's too, it's not building anything. So it's a struggle for me, but I've learned to put some boundaries on it. Well, I think that's where people definitely get stuck in those places of either they haven't really thought through enough of the long-term goal. Like it's easy to start something and then completely forget why you started it and just oh, yeah. get so discouraged along the process. I know I've, yeah. I've quit things mentally so many times along the way, only to later on have said, whew, I'm so glad I didn't quit that thing because now it's actually grown to something. But I also had to step back and say, what's my why? Like, what am I actually? And sometimes the, the why or the goal can shift a little bit along the way. Mm -hmm. But um, continuing to kind of be rooted in that, I think that's super wise. Um, I want to dive into just the premise of your book, this idea that we have these things that are running through our mind mm -hmm. all the time, these soundtracks. And um, when I read your story about going for a run, um, I'm trying to remember where it was, somewhere in Europe, that you were in this beautiful yeah. place, and then you come back and your wife asks you how the run was. Can you just tell me that story? Yeah, I was in. Uh, we were in Portugal. Um, I had been brought to Portugal to speak for this amazing organization um, for entrepreneurs. And we're like, we're staying along the coast. It's gorgeous. We're on the water. The hotel has a huge balcony. Like it's unbelievable. And so I went for this run along this path that I'm sure like Columbus walked on, like it was gorgeous. And I get back and my wife was like, how was the run? I was like, ah, got a blister. And it was like the small little nothing blister is what I had turned the whole thing into. And so I use that as an example of like, I think sometimes people go, okay, you're so positive that must come natural to you. And I would say it's the opposite. Like I, I have to work at positivity. I have to be deliberate at positivity. I mean, a, a soundtrack I'll tell people is that fear comes free. Hope takes work. Like the negative thoughts are going to find you on their own. You never have to look for them. Like you never have to go find them, but like the positive ones, the hopeful ones, the faithful ones, those take deliberate action. And so I use that story as I like, Hey, 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 I know probably at this point in the book, you're like, Oh, this guy is all like, he's sunshine all the time, but I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm skeptical, which is healthy, but that can go into cynicism, which in my opinion is unhealthy. I'm fine with skepticism. Like we live in a world that's pretty whack. You should be skeptical. I don't want to get cynical. I want to be skeptical. Wait a second. What about like, I want to be thoughtful and deliberate. And so that's why I told that story was that it was a, uh, for me, it was an example of no, 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 no. This isn't Pollyanna. This isn't my first like reaction. I'm not a like 
turn the frown upside down kind of guy. Like that takes work. And, but I think the work is worth it. Well, I, I identified because for that was who I was for so long that if it didn't matter what I had done for the weekend, like you just got back from Mexico, you were at a women's retreat, like whatever it was. I was like, yeah, like they, the bathrooms, like they just didn't have the like gift baskets there. And that like, and I think part of it is that I would say, because I have a bit of a mind for like details and critical thinking and all that kind of stuff, it would just Mm -hmm. veer to like share about the negative. And it actually took me um, a discipline of saying, well, be self-awareness, which you talk about in the book. So being Mm -hmm. aware and then really starting to retrain even the things coming out of my mouth and what is the thing I'm focusing on. And so I love that you um, bring up that idea of, hey, like we can be we can be more aware of these things in our lives. We're always going to keep growing in self-awareness. Um, and then we can actually begin to shift those soundtracks. And so I love that the book is funny. It's very funny. Uh, but it also is practical with tools that are going to help us um, along the way flip that script. And so I just wonder for you, like if somebody is listening and they're thinking, what do you like, what do you mean by soundtracks what do you mean by broken soundtracks where would somebody start to even gain some of that awareness of things that are holding them back things that are keeping them stuck yeah totally so i mean the first thing i'd say is the definition of overthinking like my working definition is overthinking is when what you think gets in the way of what you want so there's a thing you want there's a thing you want to do and all these thoughts get in the way of that Um, a soundtrack is just my phrase for a, a repetitive thought um, that has the power to change a moment often without you even knowing it. And we see this in movies all the time. If it's a small little house and it's beautiful, there's kids frolicking, but then they play an ominous song. You start to go careful. There could be a creepy clown in the sewer. Like don't go in there. It's quiet. It's too quiet. They play a, a, a popular song, like a happy song. They play Vanessa Carlton's thousand miles and suddenly it's a rom-com. And so I really wanted to say, okay, that's what a soundtrack does. And you have them for every person in your life, every project for your life, every relationship, every opportunity, every fear. Um, And so the easiest, fastest way to figure out if you have what I'd call a broken soundtrack, one that's not serving you, is to write down a desire. Like write down something you want to do. It could be big, it could be small, but it's the simplest exercise. So you write down, okay, I want to start my own podcast. I want to ask that person out. I want to I want to date again. I'm divorced. I don't want to date again. I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to go to my high school reunion and not feel inadequate. I, you know, I want to travel again when the world opens up, whatever. I want to write a book, write down a desire and then listen to your reaction. Like just listen to your reaction because every reaction is an education. Like that's another soundtrack I say. Every reaction is an education. So if your reaction isn't something that propels you forward in hope and encouragement and life and fulfillment, then it's probably a broken soundtrack and you should do something about that. Okay, so let's just say um, I, I want to be a published author. Let's say that. Sure. But um, I, don't have a very, I don't have a very big Instagram following. I'm also a mom yeah. of like three little kids. Like I'm pretty busy. Uh, also, I didn't take writing in school. Like I went to school to be a PE teacher. So what yeah. would, that, those would be some of the things that would pop up. And so then what does somebody do to begin to – flip the script. Okay. So let's take one of them. And I love those examples. Okay. I didn't go to school for writing. You ask, you ask broken soundtracks, three questions. 
And they're super simple questions, but they're Trojan horse questions. Cause if you'll ask them on the outside, you'd be like, these are the simplest, like these are the most obvious questions. But if you sit with them, like they're going to wreck you in a good way. Number one, is it true? Is it true? I didn't go for, to school for writing. That's true. Okay. That's true. Second question though, is it helpful? Is that helpful? Every time you say that to yourself, does it make you want to write more or less? Does telling yourself over and over and over again, I didn't go to school for writing. I didn't go to school for writing. Helpful. That's not helpful. Third, is it kind? If you said it to a friend, would they still want to be your friend? And I, you know, my, one of my most recent examples, I was on a podcast in the middle of the podcast, I was talking about these questions and the host got quiet and was like, Oh no. And I was like, what? And he said, well, I've had the number one podcast for the last nine months in my category. And the soundtrack I've been listening to is you're just lucky. You're just lucky. You're just lucky. And he said, if a friend came over and had built something over nine months and worked really hard, I'd never say, well, you're just lucky. So if I wouldn't say it to a friend, why am I saying it to me? So if you can't answer yes to all three of those questions, it's probably an unhealthy soundtrack. It's a broken soundtrack. And that's why you ask three questions. Is it true? You didn't go to school for writing. That's true, but it's definitely not helpful. It's definitely not kind. So you need to be able to say yes to all three of those questions. Um, and here's the other thing is, Usually there's a soundtrack behind the soundtrack. So I'd get people to pull the thread because like I didn't go to school for writing. What you're kind of saying in that is everyone who wrote a book did. Is that, is that true? That's not true. It's not true at all. I like most writers I know didn't go to school for writing. Like, and so, but you've got, so, but if you'll sit for that a little while and go, what am I really saying? I'm saying because I didn't go to school for writing, I could never write a book. You're adding all these conditions to that simple soundtrack. And if you pull the thread, you'll really see them and go, wait a second. Okay. I, I, it's no longer true. Same with podcast. I don't know how to start a podcast. That's a fair, true thing to say, but unfortunately that tends to mute into, I can never start a podcast and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa that's definitely not true. Like, or it's impossible to start a podcast. No, it's not like, People do it all the time. And so you have to sit with the questions and kind of go, what am I really saying there? Um, you know, or I have three young kids. Okay. That's true. That's true. But you know, every time you say that, is it helpful to you? And is it helpful to your kids? Like one of the dangers as a parent is when you throw your family under the bus accidentally, where you go, I'd love to do these goals, but these kids like, wow, like what, like, and like, you don't want to carry that. Like, you don't want to go, I do this except. Um, and so you go, okay, what's a true soundtrack in that moment? A true soundtrack in that moment is I have a lot of family responsibilities, but I can write a little. Like it might be true. I can't write an entire book this year because I've, you know, I've got three little kids. That's true. Like, but I can write a little, even though I have three kids, like, okay, that's, that's something I can work on. I can live with versus I let that broken soundtrack to tell me I can't do this thing because that's not, that's not helpful to you. Well, I love that really so much of what it's doing is helping people filter between like, what do I have control over and what do I not have control over? And there is actually, I think we often get them backwards because there's so many things that we don't have control over. There's so many things we just do not have control over, yet there is far more that we can do. There's far more that we're actually not kind of handicapped. And so I um, like I've, I keep flipping the script when I get frustrated in something. So recently I was in our bathroom and we've been wanting to move. And you actually posted something in your stories recently that made me feel better about where, where we live. Cause it was this, some sort of um, reel or something with uh, a realtor basically saying like, I think he was trying to sell an apple. 
and how yeah. ridiculous. So that's where we are right now. Things are going 200,000 over ask. It's it's insane. So I've been frustrated. We're never we're never going to be able to move. We can never afford it and various things. So I'm in my bathroom and I see all of my I've got like matching toy um matching Kleenex holder and toothpaste holder and all these things. And we've been here for 10 years. I hate them. Like I hate the color yeah. and I'm like I'm stuck with these until we can buy a new house. And I had this moment where I was like, you know what? I actually have some downstairs in the guest bathroom. I can do a swap. They're white. And it was like less than five minutes. It was this moment of, okay, what can I control? How can I? And I said to my husband that I was like, do you like the new bathroom? Like it looks, and now I'm thinking I can paint. Like I can get a $20 can of paint. and, And it opened up this whole reality instead of being stuck. And that's what those, it doesn't matter. We don't have to be people who are like wanting these giant goals. But what are the little things that are keeping us stuck. And I, I love what you said too about that idea of, I know a lot of moms listen to this podcast, of really using our kids in some ways as that um, excuse. And what I have found is that when we realize they are not going to be the thing that is standing in the way, and as we pursue the things that are on our heart, it actually gives us um, new life that is going to spill out to the kids. Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, my wife, the way my wife said it to me was like, she said, it's really, um, it's, she said, it's not fun to be married to a writer who's not writing. Like, which was her saying like, yeah, when, when you're engaged in the thing, it's, you're a better dad. Like when you're engaged in the thing, you're a better husband. And so, you know, I think a lot, some of that is like, not, not, you know, the way my friend Ali Andrew says it is like not lying for your spouse like not assuming that they're, they're mad that you spent half an hour doing the thing that you're mad and you go. And I, you know, I put an example of that in the book where somebody said like his broken soundtrack was you can't have a hobby because you need to be spending more time with your kids or your wife and all that. And I, I said, well, what would your wife say to that? And he said, Oh, she's constantly telling me I need a hobby that she would love me to go to the movies with my friends. But he's like, Oh, if I do that, she'll be upset. And like, so I think sometimes it's going, Hey, here's this thing, especially in the context of a marriage or relationship, whatever, here's this thing I'm thinking, is it true? And the other person goes, no, like I would love, like I'll watch the kids for a little, like, oh. And then also just being honest about the season you're in. Like the reality is like the season I'm in where I have a rising senior who's 17 and a sophomore who's 15 is different from when I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Like my kids right now, they're out of school for the summer, but they're at the neighborhood pool and one of them drove themselves there. Like that's different. And so- there's seasons to your life. So sometimes, especially moms will go, I'm not hustling on my dream, writing a book or whatever hard enough. And I go, well, tell me about your family. And they'll say, I have a one-year-old, a three-year-old and twin five-year-olds. And I always think like, it's amazing what you're doing right now. Like you're raising humans. Like it might be that your hustle dream gets like half an hour every fifth day. And that's amazing. Like now you're going to grow it as they grow, but like, don't hold yourself to either empty nest standards or I have teenager standards, you should hold yourself to toddler standards. That's a different level. Well, I think that's so good of being really aware and honest of where you're at. And I love how you really talk about this idea of you have this line um, when in your chapter on the new anthem where you say self-care starts with self-talk. And I think that's a really big part of it is just realizing like what is the truth that we're speaking to ourselves. And I, I really think that 
identifying these soundtracks is almost like a domino. Like if you had a bunch of dominoes laid, laid up and you yeah. begin to knock over one of those incorrect soundtracks in your life, one of those broken soundtracks, and you get freedom and you they start to ripple out and you go, oh, and then it's almost like the self-awareness keeps going and it's not just for you, it's actually the self-awareness about your spouse, about your kids, about your friendships, right? Like I had this moment where I got a late birthday birthday invite from a woman and my immediate thought was, she just realized, like, she feels sorry for me. She doesn't really like yeah. me. She's inviting me late. And, Last on the list. Yeah. And I had yeah. this moment where I went, what if that's not true? And I realized it's because 10 years before that, I had sent her a message and she didn't respond to it in the way I would have hoped. And so for 10 years, I'd been playing the soundtrack of, she doesn't really like me. She, she yeah. pities me. Yeah. And in that moment, and so I actually, I took her out for coffee and I was really kind. I just said, hey, I think I've been believing a lie. I've been believing mm -hmm. you don't really like me. And she was so shocked. And what it did is it opened the floodgates for other friendships that I have been believing these like incorrect soundtracks. And so I think when you begin to work on this in your own life, kind of unearthing the lies versus the truth, it actually opens up, oh, I've been, right? Like it's it's miscommunication down the line. I love that. I think that's amazing. And the way I've been saying is that when you see kind of the power of soundtracks, you start to see them everywhere. So like you'll be in a, you know, a corporate sales meeting and somebody will say, um, a, a bunch of customers are mad. And you'll go, is that true? Like a, what's a bunch? How many is a bunch? Because that's not a number. And you'll find out it was two. And you'll go, how many do we have? Like I, this happened to me just the other day. Uh, I have this product that I was like, this is a really important product. This is the most important. We got to spend more money, da, 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 ah, blow it up. And my project manager was like, is that true? She said, how much money did we make on it last year? And we pulled the numbers and it was 3.4% of my overall revenue. If I double it, it's only 6.8. But I thought like, so it, it becomes really powerful when you go, okay, I'm going to ask these questions. Like, is it true of this friendship? Is it true? And so, and the thing is, it's so easy, but so powerful, which is why I think it's so fun. And then like with kids, you'll hear kids say, I'll never be an athlete or I'll never be good at math. And you'll go, you're seven. Like you're like, we're, we're not going to make six decade declarations right now. Like, and, and like, I'm going to help you with that. Like I can learn to be better at math. Like we're not saying, I'll be the best in the world at math. That's every bit is untrue. Like I, I told a friend the other day about like playing basketball. I was like, I'll never dunk. It would be weird if I was like, I could make the NBA. That's one of the things I don't like about like, you can be anything you want. That's not true. Like you can be the best you that's different. But so like, I think you just start to hear it in other people and you start to share it with other people. And that's when it gets really fun. Well, I'm glad you brought up kids because, um, well, my four-year-old this morning, she's like, mom. So yesterday we were out we got some ice cream and then we came home and we were having a movie night. And I was like, you know what? We're going to just, we're going to go crazy. We're having ice cream again, but she didn't get a third helping. So this morning she's like, you never let me get ice cream. I can't like, she's going into the full pity party. And I was like, you had ice cream twice yesterday. Like you should be saying, thank you, mom. You're the best mom. And it was that light bulb that clicked where she went. And then she was thankful. And I realized how often, you know, we get like that. None, none of my friends call me anymore. I never get to go out. I never, it's like, well, have you, have you checked in with them? Have you done, you know, all of yeah. those things. Yeah. But back to the kids, I think as we are able 
to really get clear on like who we are, speaking kindly and truthfully to ourselves, we can really teach our kids to do the same thing as well and identify those things in them where they might be, right? Because all of us who are in our 30s or 40s have those moments where we look back on our childhood and we see where something started, right? We see that oh, moment. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm thinking, how do we then sit with our kids and go, hey, what what's going on in your head right now that isn't true? Like, what is the thing you've started to tell yourself based on the fact that your sister can do that thing really easily? Therefore, oh, yeah. you can't. Um, so I think- Or you have to be perfect. I think there's times when we've talked to our kids about, wait a second, like if you, you know, I think part of it is accepting the truths that that feel like cliches. So as when I was growing up, when my parents would say, we don't care whether you win or lose as long as you tried your hardest or tried your best. And I was like, that is the dumbest cliche. And now in my forties, I'm like, no, it's true. Like, and, and I can see that in my own life because like, if I do a book launch, I can only control my effort. I can't control like the results. Um, there's so many things that happen. And so I know, I know that on the other side of that, I can say, no, but we, we left it all out there. We did everything we could like, and so telling my kids, Hey, our expectation of you isn't perfection. Like, cause that that's going to wind you up. It's already stressful to be an adolescent. Like our, you know, we feel like you're capable of this and we want to help you do that. But our expectation isn't perfection because that's going to stick you in a place that we we're not trying to stick you into and voicing that and being vocal about that. Um, and then just, you know, also finding creative ways to have the conversation, but what's been fascinating, I didn't anticipate so many parents after the book comes out going, will you do a parent version? Will you do a teen version? Because they've said, I've already taught my kids this and kids get it faster than adults. Cause an adult has 20 years of broken soundtracks to kind of unlearn. You teach a nine-year-old the truth. They run with it. They get it. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course. Why would not? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, thanks for saying that I'm off. And that's like, as a parent, you're like, cause as a parent, you read it in your thirties or forties and go, what if I had learned that at 12? Like, what if I had like, what and you go like that's that's where it get, that's where parents to me is really fun not to you i think the temptation is to fix the issues you have and the kid that's most like you i think that's dangerous but i think there is a chance for you to go here's something i wish i learned i'm going to find a way with their personality their strengths their weaknesses to teach them this idea so that they can use it as a tool in their own life not i'm fixing something that i wish had been fixed in me like that's where it gets messy well, I love that. And I love that you said, use the phrase like voice it. I think we can assume far too often, whether it's with kids or friendships or any family members. I mean, everybody has the family members where they're like, we don't really talk to the, that part of the family. It's like, well, why not? It's like, well, there were, we don't know. There was a miscommunication that happened at yep. some point. And so really in many ways, kindly over communicating and clarifying and really- I make it a goal. I mean, for me, I've had goals plenty of times where my goal for the month was encourage one person 30 days in a row, like a different person. And I never had somebody respond with like, "Ugh, stop. I always had like 90% of the time they go, oh, you have no idea how much I needed that today. Like, you know, and it's not like, I'm not right. Like, let me be real clear. I'm not writing like long calligraphy letters with like sealed with a wax stamp. Like I'm just texting them three sentences like, hey you're so great at such and such, or, Hey, we're just thinking about this, like, or, Hey, and that like, we're so the way I've been saying it, a soundtrack I've been using with people is that crisis magnifies kindness. So the little things you do right now are worth a hundred times what they were two years ago. 
because we've all been so isolated. So I keep saying like, no, crisis magnifies kindness. Like do the little thing, like do the little thing because it's going to be worth so much to somebody. Yeah, that's so good. And I think also, I know one of the soundtracks of things I can hear is, oh, you're going to be bugging them. They're going to, and it's like, is anyone ever, but they're like, oh, I can't believe you texted me that worship song. I can't believe you. It's like, you know what I mean? No. Nobody People is don't hate compliments. Nobody hates compliments. I mean, like you're not, and you're, again, you're not writing a thousand word text. You're writing three sentences. That's, you know, that they're going to say, oh, wow. Thank you for that. So no, you're not going to be bothering them. It's not a request. It's not a favor. It's you saying like, Hey, here's something that I just wanted to remind you of, you know, and here's something I liked that I thought you might like too. Like that's, it's a little thing that builds a strong relationship. That's good. Can you tell me, I love this one section in your book where you talk about the new anthem. Can you tell me what that is? Yeah, well, I mean, to our to our previous point, I didn't want to study positive thinking because I grew up thinking like it's cheesy, it's fake, it's dumb. Um, it's something people use to sell stuff. Like I grew up in the age of um, like Seinfeld, Serenity Now or Center Live. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me. But I kept running into people who I really respected, who are successful in multiple facets of their life, not just like they're great at business, but they were on their ninth marriage. Like they were success. They were people that I looked up to and admired. And if you get them off mic or off camera and be like, hey, what do you think about positive thinking? They'd be like, I got some words. I sell. I got a pep talk I give myself every afternoon. I got some declarations I make. Like, And so I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to study this. And so we studied positive thinking and we did it in a couple of different ways. Um, one was I interviewed Tom Ziegler. He's Zig Ziegler's son. And I had had the chance to have lunch with Zig a few years before he passed away. And he's kind of, you know, a motivational kind of godfather of the modern motivational movement. And I kind of played stump the Ziegler. Like I just kept trying to find like, well, what about, what about? And that chapter to me in the book is, is probably worth the whole, whole price of the book. It's just hearing Tom Ziegler reflect on his dad and his 40 years of, of encouraging and what, what it does. So then I tried Zig's statements. Zig has this collection of affirmations he does um, where you read them in the mirror in the morning and at night. Um, and I felt ridiculous. And my wife was like, don't do it in the bathroom that we share because I won't even be able to make out with you if I'm hearing you say these things. Like, so like, yeah, again, that's fair. so I'm in a guest bathroom and I like it worked. Like I noticed it in my life. And so then I was like, all right, well, I want to study this on a broader level kind of my research process is like, oh, cool, let me try this. And if it works, I'm like, oh, cool, will it work for other people? Like, it's not, it's not worth a book. It's not worth putting in a book if it only works for me because like the only person that helps is John Acuff. Like that's a, I'm not gonna, that's a very narrow niche market. So I was like, let's see if it works for other people. So me and my researcher um, took thousands of people through what we called the new anthem, this collection of statements, 10 statements. I kind of had collect, started with a huge collection, whittled it down to what I thought was the best. And we asked people to do exactly that. And the people that did had great results. It reduced overthinking. It reduced doubt. It increased productivity. Um, and so it's one of those where like, I think that it'd be easy to kind of dismiss it, but I wanted to tie it to like, fine, dismiss it. But like, just know it makes you more productive. Like people who did it worked on their goal nine days more in a 30 day period than people who didn't. So if you're right now, like I'm downloading an app to save 14 seconds on how I handle email, like, you're wasting your time. The greatest productivity in the app in the world is to not like to not waste time overthinking. Like it's, it'll save you 
years of time. Um, and that's what I always tell people is like, if overthinking steals time, creativity and productivity, guess what you get back when you make overthinking work for you? Like you're thinking you get time, creativity and productivity, which is why it's like, it's such a, that's why I think I'll be talking about this book for years. Cause I think it's when people bump into it and go, Oh, wait a second. The thing I thought didn't work actually does work. And I'm going to make it work even faster and, and bigger in my life. I think, I think that's where it gets super awesome. Yeah. Well, it's so good. I um, had the chance to have a conversation with um, Dr. Caroline Leaf. and Oh, yeah. She's a genius. Yeah. And her, I as I was reading your book, I was like, there's a lot of similarities. Really, it's that idea of like, we get to choose thoughts, which is that in itself is Most people don't know that. Most people have no idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And being able to really like sift through the lies versus the truth, not only just hold on to the truth, but but speak back the truth, have that really coming into you, which I think is, mm -hmm. is why it's so powerful that we're reading the word every day. Cause it's like, we're getting the truth in us. And so being able to continue to declare those truthful things out, um, it actually does really help us with our mental health. And I'm sure you've seen that as well. Um, people who are really in that place of struggling. Um, have you noticed that as in, the conversations you've had that that's helped people in there. Oh yeah, know. totally. I mean, that's, what's been fun about it is I feel like this book has given me a front row seat to watch life change. Um, so, you know, I, the other day, somebody was like, they, we did a thing where it was like, list your old soundtrack and your new soundtrack. And somebody said their old soundtrack was, I can't be a good dad because I didn't have a good dad. And that's, a, I mean, that's just another form of, I can't be a writer because I didn't go to writing school or whatever. And he had changed it to, I, I can be, I can, you know, like there, like I can be, and his kid's life will be different because he learned, Oh, okay. Just cause I had a certain type of dad who maybe didn't, didn't know how to be a good dad. Doesn't mean I have to continue that. Like, so that kind of generational thing gets broken. Um, so that's where it's like, yeah, it's, it's super fun to, to sit here and go, wow, this is how they changed it. Um, and it's just, it gives you like, my goal with it was practical, actionable stuff. Like it's not the challenge of some, some thinking books is like, it gets really holistic and really kind of like fuzzy and you go, it inspires you, but you're like, well, what do I do with that? Like, what do I do with that on a Thursday? What do I do with that? When I have a friend who sends me an invitation and I react in a way that I, that isn't going to repair the relationship. What do I do with that? And it, it gives you actual tools to do something with it. I think that's where you go, okay, I can actually put this into practice um, and change how I feel. Yeah. Well, I love it. It is, um, I would say, what, definitely the funniest transformational book you will read. And so I hope people go pick up um, Soundtracks. Where can they buy it and where can they find you? Yeah. So you can find the book uh, anywhere books are sold. Um, you can find me. Podcast is All It Takes is a Goal. Uh, with John Acuff. And then um, my website is acuff.me.me. Um, and then I'm, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all the, all the all stuff. The so I, I love getting to interact with folks. So thanks so much for a fun conversation. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it. And um, everything is always working out for me. So that's one. There you go. That's what I'm going to take. There you go. I trust this episode has helped you move one step closer to thriving. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, 
think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right, and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something, but when someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.